Today, believe it or not, it's our 10th week as a church. <laughs> it's our 10th week as a church. And um, it's been amazing in two and a half months what God has been doing. Um, see, we, we don't go on numbers. We go on what God says and what He's doing in people's lives. And, and this, people got saved. People got changed. People got filled with the Spirit and lost. 10 weeks which is amazing and our church really we trust God that the church will touch the town and take hands with other churches and with ministries and that we see how God change um, the things around us so God has been doing fantastic things now for the first couple of weeks we've been looking at our values our values come from John 1 verse verse, uh, 3 and 4 that says God is life and and his life is the light of men and the light shine in the darkness, and darkness could not comprehend. And we spoke about life as our first pillar of foundation. Um, and in that, we looked at to activate our identity and authority and to bring transformation. Then we said that when God brings light, ach, life, He switch on the light in all of us. That the word says that shine your light so that everyone can see. And, and in our light value, we said that we really trust God that, that we will empower people to risk to reach. To take risks to reach out to others. And then to create a culture of compassion where we touch our town. To be a light where you go and tend to the hungry. Go and tend to the widow and and the orphan, like the word says. And then when you do that, it ignites something in a society and in lives that can't be stopped. It's a momentum that you create as you get going. And God does something amazing. And, and therefore we, we trust God that people will grow in a relationship with God. That they will get discipled. They will disciple others. They will minister as they grow. And then finally my wife preached one morning on worship. That we believe that one of our values in Ignite or Ignition is that we will have a, um, a value of worship that will change the atmosphere of our town. That we will see how worship changed. That's why we can't have a stage without musicians. Now we've looked, in that six week, we've looked mostly at all of our values except one. Actually, I realized that this week. We haven't looked at our first value of life that says that we trust God to activate our identity and our authority to impact society. We haven't, haven't actually uh, haven't looked specifically on that. And I love to speak about identity. I love to speak about our authority as believers in Christ. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. And I want to encourage you, and this is almost my challenge, read through the book of Ephesians. It's, it's got six chapters, and you can read all six chapters in a week easily. So for three weeks, you can read through the book of Ephesians three times. Go and find um, a devotional on new version on Ephesians, and read it with us. And, and make notes, and make revelations alive in your heart and then i want to challenge you to go and post some revelation on our facebook page so that there will be footprints on our facebook page of what we are going towards and, and how we see god doing something in our lives um, through the last 18 years of ministry every pastor every minister every person i spoke to who took an extensive time in ephesians every every one of them said to me, Henny, my life has changed. My life is so impacted by just running through Ephesians week by week by week. Um, I know Bill Johnson even says, I don't know if you know if you know Bill Johnson, a great writer and a phenomenal preacher, he said that he took six months in his early days of ministry 
and just read through Ephesians every day. Every day through the whole Ephesians. And he says his life was so impacted that it could never be the same. So I trust God that through the three weeks, only three, we're going to look at some things that touches, touches actually on our first value, but actually on all of our values, if you go through Ephesians. It speaks about igniting the light in your life. Doing so, I don't want to run ahead, but it is phenomenal. So this morning, I want to start out with looking at, at what Paul said about the Ephesians and how he helped them in, in, in terms of identity. Now, when I think about identity, it always reminds me of the same story. You know, Stefan might remember the story, but I've told this so many times. But the student sat an exam. It was a first-year student in zoology. He had zoology. I just finished matric. It's the second week in, 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 in zoology. And he walked in, and they were writing exam or a test. They said, wait a minute, you, you didn't even prep for it. You didn't even know about it. So sat down, got the exam paper. And on the exam paper was identify the following birds. And all it was was pictures of birds' legs. And by the birds' legs, he had to identify the birds. And he was dumbstruck. He's like, what? How do you do this? How can any man do this? So for five minutes, he just sat there and he looked at it and he realized he can't do this. So he closed the exam paper, walked to the front, and he slapped the paper on the, on, on, uh, in front of the lecturer and he walked out and the lecturer says, excuse me sir, your name is not on your exam paper. And he turned around and he pulled up his pants and he said, you identify me. And he walked out. <laughs> I love that, you know. It's, it's, so, it's so clever and so amazing. But it's important to know who we are. It's important to know who we are in life. You see, sometimes we need to know what do we identify ourselves with. Isn't it? Is it material things that we identify with? Is it success that gives me identity? You see, I can go on and on. I've, I've had a life, a big part of my life when I was younger, that through success I tried to find identity in what I did. But I see so many people nowadays that built their identity on many things except on the one who created them. Isn't that where we need to start? Now in Ephesians, the book was written by the Apostle Paul and, and this book provided the church with a glimpse of their place in history. Where Paul said, the Ephesians church, the church of Ephesus, he says, I want to show you your part of history through this book. But firstly, I need to show you who you are. See, it gave them the opportunity to assess three things through the, through the book of Ephesians. Who they are, number one. Where they came from and where they're going. Three things, very important. You'll see it through the book. Firstly, it says this is who you are. This is where you came from. Because where you come from would, would show you this is who you became. Be, became. But they now want to tell you you need to realize that this is where we're going. I want to start off today by looking how Paul confirmed the church of Ephesus. By showing them their identity as believers. You see, if you find your identity as a believer, you will find purpose, you will find momentum, you will find so many things in life. But if you are ident identity-less, what do you call it? Without identity... 
you would stagnate in one place. You don't know where to go, back, forth, left, right, because you don't know who you are. And that's such an important place to start in life. I always say the biggest issue in church is not sin. It is identity issue. It is who we are. I believe that people don't know who they are, and that's why they don't become what God has called them to become. Now, the title of my sermon this morning is the following. Well, it's enlightened. Enlightened. Now, where does it come from? It comes from Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. And we want to read that together. And I've got it there on the board. You can read it with me. It says, therefore... Now, let me just, before I read this, this is, a, this is one of three or one of three prayers that, that, that Paul did. Powerful prayers prayers that Paul did in Ephesians. And every prayer has got phenomenal stuff in it. Now, what I'm going to read now, just a couple of verses, probably has five weeks worth of sermon material. <laughs> well, we're going to look at some of it, but I want to give you the context of it first. So let's read it together. It says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, do not cease to give th- I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of all you in my prayers. And that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you, sorry, that, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but but also in, in, in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be heard overhead over all the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is a mouthful. Somebody said to me one day, said, if you want to if you want to know how to pray, go and study the prayers of Paul. Go and study how he prayed. Go and look at all the translations. And see the heart of Paul as he prayed. And how deep he went as he spoke and prayed for, for all the churches. While he prayed this, the church of Ephesus was not in a good place. They were pursuing, he was, there with, he was with them for three years. Then he left. And then they started going into all kind of weird kind of theology. And he still wrote to them and he encouraged them to find their true identity. See, Paul wrote this from prison in Rome. And he says that for a moment, when he heard of their faith, he was so excited that he started thanking God. Tremendous, I mean, just thanking God. And he was so thankful that he just started praying for them. The emotions bubbled over in Paul as he heard about them because he loved them so much. He also said that they all are growing in a relationship with God because they love one another. He says, in loving one another, you will grow in your relationship with God. And that's why I'm so excited to hear of your faith and that you love the saints all around you. 
And in verse 17, Paul begins to tell the Ephesus or the Ephesians exactly what he is praying for. And what in large does he want the church to receive? In verse 17, now we're going to look at that now. He prayed that they would be enlightened. That they would be enlightened. What does that word enlightened mean? It means that to light up or to give light to something. Enlightened. Now as Christians we, we are constantly enlightened in life through the process of, of, of realizing truth or receiving truth. Let's just pause it. How many of you have read something that you've never known before? There's a moment of enlightenment when the truth comes. That's, it's that aha moment. It's like, oh, wow, I always thought about that. Last night my wife showed me a picture of, of the way twins are getting born. Now, ben, you would know, but you also have twins. Um, and because you and Elizna as well. But this actually kind of this, well, I, I don't want to go into that. But we realized that we had twins and they were born in that way. And we were always wondering about that. We had the enlightened moment. We had the aha moments like, oh, okay, now we know. Now we know that they're not 100% identical. That's why, I mean, it was amazing. Go and ask my wife. She would, she would show you. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that. But see, if I go to a child, like we prayed for Philip this morning, he doesn't know a lot of truth yet. Because they're still a baby. But as they grow up, they receive truth. And as they receive truth, revelation comes. And they get identity and what they know and what they believe and what they learn. Am I right? Now the humanist movement says that you only have to look inside yourself to discover who you are. <laughs> it's like going to a car and ask the car about the car. And I know nowadays in America, when the car breaks down, the car actually starts speaking to you through GPS and they can fix it. And it's actually quite crazy. But it's like putting your watch, your watch that broke on the cupboard and said, you just sort yourself out. I'm going to go for a walk. If I come back, you need to be on time. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. See, we don't go to the device if you want to know more about the device, we go to the manufacturer, we go to the manual to know more about the device that we want to know more about. See, we look to God to know who we are. That's it, how it is. We are created beings by God. We are more intricate in our personhood than any car or electronic device can ever be. So if you want to understand who we are, we just need to go to God's manual for us to understand who we are, how we function, how we tick. Because everything is in His manual. The Bible. Now that very process of understanding, that process of understanding who we are, that's the process of enlightenment. That's what Paul spoke about. Let me just go back to Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, and I have it here in the Amplified. L listen to what the Amplified says. It says, I always pray 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He didn't say, I'm going to grant you wisdom and revelation. He says, I'm going to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, God is spirit and he speaks to our spirit. That is why we are spirit first and soul and live in a body. He says that he will give us a spirit of wisdom through his spirit he will give our spirit wisdom and revelation on who we are and how to live. Let me just go on. Then verse 18. Oh, verse 18 is... Oh my goodness. Back. There we go. He <laughs> says, And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened. And listen to what the Amplified says. Enlightened means flooded with the light of by the Holy Spirit. Flooded by the light of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So the Apostle Paul prayed that these believers would be enlightened and transformed through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, as my spirit will give you wisdom and revelation on all these things on earth, how to be and who to be and how to stand in authority, you would be enlightened every time. You see, Paul's prayer here is that we as believers get to know and comprehend our magnificent God and His wisdom. Paul just said, like, if you only know how amazing this God is. The God that I met on the road to Damascus for just that moment. The intricate parts of God is so magnificent. And he said, if you can only grasp a little bit of that wisdom to see who he is. See, what he tried to explain is that when we, get, when we get to really know God, really know God, and his wisdom, his wisdom will rub off on us. It will come ours. Let me give you an example. So if you get mentored by your boss or whoever, and you spend time with them on a day-to-day -day basis, how long will it be when the wisdom that your mentor has will start rubbing off on you? I've seen it so many times. Where I sat with students upon student and I spoke to them and discipled them and took them through the word and took them through the word and showed them the revelation that God has showed me five years ago and just take them through the word. And then one day, I sit in a, discipl I, 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 I sit in a discipleship um, appointment and I would give him the, the Bible and say, why don't you take this one? I'll, I'm going to go and get a coffee. And when I get back, he's busy with the revelations that I've been teaching him weeks and weeks ago. Because the wisdom has started rubbing off. The knowledge that he heard, the enlightenment, that, that, that moment of truth started rubbing off on him and he started to give. That's why I always say that only disciples can make disciples. It's not the, the high and mighty and glorious who don't have to be a disciple. No ways. Only disciples can make disciples. As I learn, I will teach. As you get taught, you will teach others. That is the way of discipleship. And that's what Paul said. As you spend time with God, as you know Him, His wisdom will rub off on your life. See, nothing is more powerful than knowing God. Nothing. Note that I didn't say nothing, I didn't say knowing about God. I said nothing is more glorious than knowing God. 
Because if I said knowing about God, that those who don't believe also know about God. But they don't know Him. They don't know Him. See, knowing God is something entirely different. Entirely different. Knowing God is having an intimate, daily, walking, talking relationship with the Father. That is knowing Him. Not knowing about Him. And there's so many Christians now, churches, that yeah, I know about God. I read my Bible, I go to church, I know about God. But do you know Him? Do you really know Him? The root word in the Greek says to have an intimate encounter. Knowing. This knowing that Paul speaks about. It's the same root word in the Greek where, what, what Genesis used for, for Adam and Eve. Adam knew Eve and she conceived a baby. It's a place of intimacy by knowing. It's, it's way not about I know about. It's way more than that. It's all about I know him in an intimate place. When I sit and open my heart, when I know who God is. That is a place where we need to be. And that is a place where Paul cried out to the church of Ephesus and said, you need to know the true magnificence of our God. You need to get to a place of intimacy with God where you truly know His heart for you. Then you will find identity in your life. There's a man in the Bible that we came to, he came to know God. And he was, he was actually known as the humblest man in the Bible. His name was Moses. And the Bible says something very interesting about him. Listen to this. It says, Psalm 103 verse 7. He says, He, God, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to his children of Israel. Now, although these two things might look similar, but there's, there's a huge difference between ways and acts. The way and acts. See, if, you, if I study a stranger what he does and how he lives and I might know how he acts on a daily basis but see you need to be a friend to know someone to really know their ways to really know their ways see I can easily see how people act without knowing them it's easy but if I know their ways how they live I need to be an intimate friend I need to be a friend who looks or speaks into their life, who drink coffee. Um, I have a friend in George who always says, you're not my friend if you don't know how I drink my coffee and how I eat my steak. <laughs> I said, dude, then you need to invite me so that I know how you eat your steak. But that's so true. Every time I, it reminds me, it's like, if I want to know someone is a true friend, I know how they eat their steak and how they drink their coffee. And I've got a very good friend who don't drink coffee, so I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. But it's so important. The ways God knows. He said that Moses knew my ways. And to the children of Israel only saw my act. Only saw what I did. Moses truly saw who I am. Now I realize the more I get to know God, the more we get to know God, the closer we get to Him, the more He works on us. That is so true. I mean, the more I get to know my Father, the more I read my Bible, the more I go through challenges, the more I do things, the more God work on me. He work on me. As we get to know His love, His wisdom, His grace, 
the more we are willing to yield to him to say, Lord, come and change me. That thing you're pointing your finger at or placing in my heart, that thing that I know that needs to change, the closer I get to the Father, the more he starts changing my character into a godly character. That's where God wants us. Now let's just go back to enlightenment and I want to connect this to, say, in, in, picture yourself that you're in a dark room and I come and I switch on a flashlight. What happens? The room gets enlightened. The light comes and pushes out the darkness. Now the picture of the flashlight changing the darkness with its light describes the word enlightenment. There was an enlightenment moment. There was, we changed from total darkness to, oh, I can see. Oh, wow. Oh, suddenly I can see. And that's exactly where we need to be. Once the flashlight is turned on, the knowing, there is no more darkness. Light has come into the room and has illumin illu illuminated the room. <laughs> Almost said illuminated the room, not that illuminated the room <laughs> that's a moment of immediate change you see the process of being enlightened in the scriptures is not a one-time thing oh I had an enlightened moment no it's an ongoing process when that light is switched on it's switched on I believe you can dim it by spending less time in the word spending less time with God you see I know my wife I know her intimately, like, a, like any married couple should. I know my wife, the look on her face, I know what she's thinking. I know when I'm in trouble and when I'm not. <laughs> I know. But see, when I only spend 10 minutes a week with my, with my wife, the knowing will become smaller. We will grow apart. It will challenge the relationship to an extent of of straining it. And that's why I say that it's a continual process where we pursue the knowing of God. I pursue the enlightened moments of God so that I can know Him more intimately, daily, daily and a daily and a daily basis, where I build my relationship with Him. And when the eyes of our understandings are, understanding are being enlightened, it's an adventure of discovery of truth. You see, when I open the Bible, and I see an enlightened moment, it's like, oh wow, this is amazing. And it becomes an adventure to read our Bible, to discover where I can change, and how God has created me. See, God has a promise for all of us in the Word. There's over seven and a half thousand promises, specific promises for each and every one of us in Scripture. That's apart from every prophetic word, every encouragement in your life, prophetically. So there's more than enough promises and as you pursue that promises, as you get enlightened, when you go through the Word, it becomes an adventure with God. Now it's important to know that before we all come to Christ, we are blinded. We are blinded. Our understanding of God is seriously limited. Really. 2 Corinthians, Paul actually states this, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, In the good news we preach, it's hidden behind a veil, 
we can't see that well. It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Now, when Paul speaks about perishing, he, he speaks about spiritually sp perishing. You are not alive in Christ. He's talking about those who are not believers yet. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who, do, who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And they don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the ex extent likeness of God. Now, I've sat with so many people in my life where we debated about the word in a friendly way, over a coffee. And sometimes it just blows my mind. It's like, I don't know how you can't see this. How can't you see the difference that grace is grace and works as works? And if you try to get closer by works to God, you're going to miss the true grace of the Father. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything and just sit and God will. No, no. We pursue Him with a passionate pursuit. See, there's such a thing, but some people feel that we need to work and we need to go to church and if I don't pray every day and pray five times a week and do this, that God's not going to love me. And the more I sit with people, I said, you know what? God has thrown all his anger, all his wrath out on Jesus so that he can set us free and love us and see us without blemish or wrinkle. And that that grace will empower us to live a sinful life like Titus says. See, that's where we need to... And I sit with people and I explain it to them and say, if you can just experience the grace of the Father. But sometimes I realize that they haven't gone past the moment of enlightenment. Yeah. And then the amazing journey starts by helping them through the Word and helping them to see the revelation. And the enlightenment comes and the truth comes and set them free. And then you realize that the Word says, the truth will set you free. What freedom is which is so amazing. Now, I, I was traveling when, in my early days. I was, I was a professional runner for a couple of years. And I traveled Europe extensively. <coughs> and I remember one day, we were traveling from Slovenia with bus to Vienna and flew from Vienna to Ireland, Dublin, and, uh, for, for meetings. But everything happened in 24 hours. We started traveling 11 at night with a bus. I didn't even know when we got on the plane. We flew to uh, Dublin. When I got there, I just went to bed. And I got to my room. It was dark. I went to bed and I slept. I was dead tired. And, and one other time, out of, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a wake-up call at a, in a hotel room or with your phone, but you are in a serious deep sleep. <laughs> you ask, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning who is calling me when we were traveling we had this pranks we pulled on each other you, you put in a, a wake up call at 2.30 in the morning with your friends <laughs> and then just to make it fun you put another one in for 3 o'clock just when he falls back but it was like that I, I mean the phone rang and I was like what in the world I'm sleeping and I, and I was like hey Henny it's John are we ready for supper are you ready I was like supper are you, it's, it's like in the morning, it's early. He said, dude, it's like 6.30 in the evening. Open your shutters. And I put down the phone and I was like, oh yes, there's shutters in the room. Now in Europe, they, the, the, the sun doesn't go down till like 10, 10.30, 11 at night. So they've got this metal shutters 
that you like this pulley that you turn and it literally closes the windows pitch dark and it's got windows it's got uh, curtains everything so i just saw the curtains it was dark i thought i'm going to bed i was tired so when i opened the shutters me and my friend we looked like vampires like ah it's light and it was like oh my goodness look at this view of the city we were in one of the best hotels in dublin i could see the whole city it was phenomenal it's like yeah i was lying in the dark sleeping thinking it's night while it was still day i had a moment of enlightenment sometimes we need to trust god to open the shutters in our lives to get us from a place where we are in darkness not seeing clearly not understanding clearly to a place where we are oh, this is who i am wow Lord, as this is who you made me to be, what have I been missing? And Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, he says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Now there's two sets of eyes the Bible speaks about. We've got natural eyes that I see you and you see me with today. But when we have spiritual eyes, and the Bible speaks about the eyes of your heart. How you see truth in your spirit. See, we see visually, visually with natural eyes, but the Bible speaks about spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart. Now, God wants us to walk in the light so that we can see spiritually. He doesn't want us to sleep with shutters in our room, walk with dark glasses on, and not see what we're supposed to see. Now to open that shutters in your life is to allow him to come in and say, Lord, here I am. Come and give me purpose. Come and show your plan for my life. Come and enlighten my life so that I know this is exactly what I need to do, Lord. This is what you've called me to do. And this is where we want to go. When the eyes of our hearts are open, there's three things that we see when we have enlightenment. Now, I just want to unplug this. There we go. There's three things that I want to look at this morning. When we have that moment of enlightenment, what do we see as Christians? Now, number one, we see God's purpose. We see God's purpose for your life. We see His destiny, His hope for you, His hope for a nation, His hope for a generation. Isn't it amazing when you get saved and when you really have a moment with God, you start seeing life in a different way. I see, wow Lord, I see a generation in this country that loves you. Not just love politics. Love you. And be righteous. Now Ephesians 1.18 says that you may know what is the hope of your calling. That you know what is the hope of your calling. The greatest challenge for so many people is that they don't see God's got a purpose for them and for their lives. Really. I speak to young people nowadays. I said, what do you think is your purpose that God's given you? Yeah, I don't know any. Give me a day or two. I'll just go and think. So, no, yeah, Google it. <laughs> Maybe it's on Facebook somewhere. <laughs> I know I saw something about purpose on Instagram the other day. No. 
it's actually quite serious business when you sit with somebody young. Go and find out with your friends. Go just out of the blue over a coffee. Just, say, do, just tell me, what do you think is your purpose in life? And you see that, that, that new millennial rap song. It is. People don't know their true purpose in life anymore because they, they find identity in an age where we, we have so much more information that we ever need. We live in an information age. See, that's why Paul prayed that the believers would be enlightened about God's great plan and purpose for each of them. He said that, I pray that you would see the plan and the purposes that I have for you, oh, that, that God has for you. See, Paul's desire was that the church of Ephesus would realize their new identity in Christ and what it meant. What it meant to be enlightened and to have all their identity on God and who God is in them. But see, sometimes we get so caught up in our own plans and purposes that we miss God's master plan for our lives here on earth. I've been there so many times. On a weekly basis, I need to pinch myself and say, Kenny, are you busy with your own things? Are you busy with God's purpose for your life? It's a good wake-up call for myself to always, when I open my Bible, and say, Lord, remind me of what my purpose is. Remind me of who I am. That's why we as parents, when we dedicated young Philip this morning, we as parents have a, a, a permanent job to remind our children of their purpose in God. Till they get to a place of enlightenment through the word and say, ah, now I realize what my parents have been saying all this time. Because all the, all, every child come to a moment in life like, ah, oh, man, I wish I listened to my parents. <laughs> I still have that moment. My parents were here this week. I said, mm, I should have listened to you, mom. Or dad. It's like, yeah, why don't you just give me a bigger hiding so that I listen earlier in life. So when the eyes of our hearts are open, Something amazing, amazing happens. See, Jesus' hope of his calling was to seek and to save the lost. That was the hope of his calling. That was the hope of his calling. He said, my hope is, and my calling is, that, this, that, the, that the lost will be, will be saved. And guess what? We are the hands and the feet that bring the gospel to this generation. We are that. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own plans that we, that we lose and miss God's ultimate plan by just being that fragrance. I don't know if you remember our value, how to reach and risk, but being a fragrance through our God-given identity, God releases a fragrance through our lives. Sometimes I walk into a room and people will tell me or my wife, you're just different. It's amazing when you hear you're so happy, you smile all the time. It's like, you haven't seen me at home sometimes. But it's amazing that we release a fragrance. We bring something when you are a lover that knows God intimately. See, when, when our eyes are enlightened, we start to discover our purpose when we get lost in His purpose. We discover our purpose when we get lost in His purpose. And sometimes say, Lord, show me your purpose so that I can find my purpose. Number two, what do we see? We see God's people. 
we see God's people. Now Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18 as well, he says that we are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. His inheritance in the saints. Now the word says that God gave us an inheritance. We know that. I just said God gave us seven and a half thousand promises in the word that says that we have an inheritance through Christ. But here Paul turns it around. He says that we are Christ's inheritance. We are Christ's inheritance. He says that we are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, which is us. See, God doesn't need more money. He's got everything. <laughs> everything. He doesn't need more time. He's, he is timeless. But the one thing he wants for his inheritance is for us to accomplish the plan that he's put in, in motion. He wants us to see and to accomplish what he started. That is his true inheritance. God has no plan B. This is his master plan and we are that. We are his master plan to roll out the plan that he came and started out on the cross when he rose from the dead and said, Now, I give you authority. Go and heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. I have sent you. I commanded. I gave authority. You see, Jesus set us all up to implement God's plan. He handed us over. He handed over the task for us to reach the world. And the way he's going to reach the world is through the church. Through the church. That's why I say to Paul, that says, Paul, you are Cephas. And on this rock, I will build my church. So he said that to Peter and said, Peter, this is who you are through the church that you're going to establish. I'm going to change this world. He could have said to Peter, Peter, and through this ministry, no, no, he didn't say that. He said through the church. And there was a powerful way through the local church where Christ, they came in and he established something in church to change the world. He could have chosen anything else. Jesus was in church every Sunday. He preached. He had a value to go to church. There was a local church value in Jesus' heart. And that's why he said to Peter, he said, through you I will change. I will establish my church and I will change the world. Then number three, and the last one, we see God's power. When we are enlightened, we see God's power. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the exceedingly great greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power? Now, He uses so many word, powerful words. Exceedingly greatness of His power, dunamis, towards us who believe, according to the working, the energetic, the energia, Energia, that's a Greek word that also means powerful energy. Working of his mighty power. Again, dunamis. When we get to truly know God intimately in our lives, our lives change forever. There's a power being released. We are filled with God, life. And because we're filled with life, power are released through us, through our lives. I've seen that. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, now go, two, two, go heal the sick, go cleanse the lepers, go raise the dead. He also said in one account, he said, greater works than I than you will do. Why? Because when we have a moment of enlightenment, we see God's power through our lives 
and through others. I've seen more miracles than I ever thought I would see. And I want to see millions more. I've got a passion to see the body of Christ being restored and transformed. But we need, as a, as, as a bride of Christ, we need to let the power of God be released through our lives. We need it. I was with a friend the other day, um, here on a farm, I was drinking coffee with him and he was showing me around the farm and um, the lady who works in his house came in um, and she didn't look well. <laughs> and he looked at her, Maria, he said, what's going on, what's fault? She said, she doesn't say anything, she feels, I could see she feels sick. And he said, sit down, we're going to pray for you. And as soon as she sat down, I heard God said that, pray, she's got backache. So I prayed and I picked up her legs and her one leg was this much longer than the other leg. It was like five centimeters. And we started praying and her one leg grew out and, and God aligned her back. She stood up, pain gone. Light, her head light. She could feel and she just looked different. And I said, great, amazing. Let's have coffee. And we had coffee and... And I believe that that's how God has called us, to move in His power. If you have an enlightened moment about healing, about transformation, about compassion, then those things need to be natural in our lives. That we need to see the power of God through our lives on a constant basis. It's part of our inheritance through Jesus. That we move in powerful signs and wonders. Now next week... I want to continue by looking at Ephesians 3 and I want, to, I want to look at the change between sometimes we as Christians get stuck at the theology and the knowing or just the, just the, the um, not the knowing, the, um, just settling in the theology of Christian faith and instead of moving through to the experiencing God. We can know everything the Word has to say, say about who He is and what we can do, but we need to move over to say, okay, now Lord, I want to experience your glory. I want to experience more of you. I want to see your power move in people when I speak to them, when I pray for them. Amen? Now let me pray for us and we can stand together.